This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 72 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we discuss the traits we look for in a dog. In Tigapedia, we ask about the differences in small dog versus large dog food. In Critter Nutrition, we explore intuition. And in Coffee Clutch, we read the Beatrix Potter story of Jemima Puddle Duck. Listen in. Hi, my name is Tigger, and I'm the owner of Biostar US. Hi, my name is Patty, and I am a dressage trainer and wicked dog enthusiast. And we have our producer, Jen. <laughs> yes, I'm here with you. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Regular listeners we- to the Healthy Critters Radio are, are scratching their heads right now, because typically at the beginning <laughs> of the show, Tigger and Patty just jump right into it, right up to their armpits, no floaties. You know, and I thought, you know, there's so many new no people. Intro, coming. No nothing, nice. No, no nothing. They, they don't say, they don't explain who they are. They don't explain who Hedwig is. Nope. Uh, you know, there's so many new people coming to the show. They really need to know who everybody is. So this is our first attempt at at introducing ourselves. And you did a pretty good job, ladies. I'm impressed. <laughs> oh, a round of applause. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Yay. Not good on the cup, you know. <laughs> our our show today is really focused a lot on dogs. Yeah, it is very doggy. Yeah. It's very doggy. It is. It's doggy too. It's yes it is. And it it makes me think about, you know, the 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 first dog in one's life, whether it was as an adult oh, or a yeah. child. My, my first dog as a kid was a a, a case hund that my mother was showing casons and breeding at the time. And um, his name was Skylar. And what a, oh. what a really great, great family dog. A lot of hair, though. Maybe that's why I have Australian shepherds now. <laughs> Just used to hair. To I was going to say. Hair. <laughs> so that's so funny. I always called them Keyshounds. Yeah, now they're pronouncing. So, my, my, my mother used to say Keysound. But now they're calling okay. them K-sounds. I, I don't know. I did not know that. So that's pretty cool. And they're a Dutch barge dog. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of water in Holland with um, all the canals and things. And these are the dogs that would guard the barges, the Dutch barges. And they look like little Oh, that's spits, so funny. You know, I mean, they're not white, oh, but they're a spitz type of of dog they're they're barge guarders say that three times fast exactly i i can't even say it once slow um but and they because we had one as well and they are they gray sort of they're grayish black they're like a wolf in color yeah they're like a malamute oh wow yeah yeah a little bit yeah yes we had or an elk we had one oh yes Speaking of hounds, there we go. That was perfect timing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that reminds me of my our very first uh, dog, and he was just a wonderful mixed breed. And his name was Henry Jones. He was 
the most perfect dog. He was the just he was just such a childhood friend that was the most wonderful dog. And he was just some sort of like an English Springer mix of some sort. But he was our family best dog ever. He's the Happy Memories family dog. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. How about you, Jennifer? I'm not a dog person, as you may find out a yeah, little bit we've, later we've, in the show. We've, we've come uh, to realize but that. I didn't realize that because we grew up, I grew up with lots of dogs in the house. My mom was in, in, in the dog thing. But we had this little beagle mutt named PJ. I think he might have come from the pound. Aww. And he's the dog that taught me I was not a dog person. Because I would take this poor little dog and I would make a little fashion, a little tiny bridle out of bits and pieces of string or whatever I could come a hold of. Now it, it went around his nose. It was really more of a hackamore than a bridle. And mm. I would drive him like a little pony all around our property. Oh, that's so and funny. The little dog despised it. He hated it. He hated me. He would see me coming with my little bits of strings and I could just see him cringing now that I'm an adult. But I, I obviously just needed more ponies because I was driving the beagle around like a little pony. So I'm sorry, PJ, up there in, in puppy dog heaven. I'm sorry. The I reason you that, that I'm laughing so hard is that I used to hitch Skylar, the Kison, to the wagon, you know, the, one of those little. See? And I, and I would dress up the cat and put the cat in the wagon uh, in doll clothes. There you oh go. My God. <laughs> See? I, I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have a long enough attention funny. span to dress up the cat or hitch him to anything. I just put a couple of long leashes on him and off I go. I, you know, and I, I thought, oh, I'm, oh, driving, I'm driving the dog. I'm driving the dog. No, the dog, the dog was just running away from me. Is all that. <laughs> really oh, that is so funny. Poor old PJ. Well, we have a great show about dogs today. So um, let's get to it because we're going to talk about what the traits we look for in a dog. So we're starting off the show with our roundtable discussion. And today it's, what are the traits you look for in a dog? And I have some, it's a good topic. What did, what prompted this, this, this uh, topic, Tigger? Um, I don't think we have enough time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, yeah, maybe the Reader's Digest version of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Patty and I are discussing really joining together in our passion of dogs, specifically Australian shepherds. So. Mm We have been accused, might not be the right word, but we've been labeled headhunters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because yeah. we are all about the head first. And I think yeah. it really has to do with the look. For me, you know, I mm-hmm. want a beautiful head, but there's a look in the eye. There's just something that says, I'm all that. But yeah. I don't know it because I'm kind of attitude too, too, right? <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. attitude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've always always loved a a bigger. I like bigger, wider, broader heads, which isn't always indicative of the breeds that I like, you know. Um, and um, what turned me on to that kind of. I know because, well, like, I mean, that's why I like Frenchies. That kind of makes, makes sense. They got kind of wide little fat heads. I love that. I mean, I loved greater Swiss mountain dogs, same thing. But when the, the, the Australian shepherds that I ever knew were just sort of a little bit more 
and not and not in any way do I not like border collies, but some of them just had longer sort of snipier noses. And I just like a, I'm just a big it's like my my dad's name nickname was Big Head, and so was my brother. I mean, we're just like that kind of people. We just like the bigger head dogs. And then I met Fabi, which is Tigger's oldest and fattest headed cutest famous. thing in the entire world. <laughs> And, and, and again, and a lot of it too is his personality. I mean, just kind of kills it, but, um, I, and I like the look in the eye too, but I, I just, um, I, I just, I think that in just a super personality, you know, I obviously like a bunch of different types of dogs, but like with my Frenchies, you know, on top of their incredibly cute, fat little heads, I just like, I like one that's comical. I like one that has a good sense of humor. Yes. You know, and I don't, and sometimes, sometimes when you're, when, when it comes to buying a puppy or getting a puppy or adopting a puppy, you know, you don't necessarily see that. So I was kind of going for, you know, if you like when, when we go horse hunting, you kind of have an idea of Mm. what you have in mind. And so that's what I was kind of asking are, you know, you and I are the first thing we're going to look for is the head. Yeah, um, it's hard to to see whether the dog has a sense of humor when it's a puppy. When it's a puppy, well, sometimes I mean I think some sometimes. of them um, they can be yeah, and sometimes they develop yes too, as they get older and especially if they live um, with a funny person. And I think, <laughs> well, and I think Hedwig would uh, would agree with this. You have to have a sense of humor if you're going to be a horse person, right? Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> How about you, Jennifer? What what do you look for? Um. I'm a lot less about the physical attributes. It just of the goes dog. to show you how shallow Patty and I. Yeah, I'm a lot more about the, the doggy personality. Yeah, it, I'm definitely the. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't want myself a fear burger, and I mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. don't want the clingy, needy dog, or the hairy dog mm-hmm. that needs a lot of brushing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I want mm-hmm. one that that is either well socialized or wants to be well socialized. Um, and I actually okay. kind of I kind of like the reasonably independent ones that are a little harder to train. Not because I enjoy training, but I they tend to be not clingy. <laughs> I really want a dog that's <laughs> yeah. more like a cat. Is what it was. <laughs> you, want, you want a cat dog? Yes, I want a cat dog. Could you see a theme here? It's all about okay. me and what's easy for me. <laughs> yes. Yes. I do. I, so I see short-coated cat dog. Short-coated cat <laughs> dog. Have you considered a Mexican hairless? <laughs> <laughs> they bark. See, there you go. They bark. Oh, yeah. okay. oh you don't like barking. No, okay. don't like barking. No, see, I, lo- I, love oh, me, I love me a good German shepherd dog, if you can find one that's not a big barker. Yeah, but, and that's hard to come by. And doesn't have hair. <laughs> well, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you can always pay the groomer. That, oh, I think German shepherd hair is about as hairy as I'm willing to go. That's about maximum. Well, that's, that's really Australian hair. Shepherd is not in your future. No, 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 no. herding breeds are in my future. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. I'll t- the the most shedding dogs I have are the Frenchies because they shed all the time. They're horrible yeah, all the time. Yeah, they're like yeah. labs. I don't. I mean, I get a little bit from Burke, but not too too bad. Yeah. Just wait. <laughs> the least shedding dog I have is uh, Gavin, who's the so, border terrier. So, what is the trait, Tigger? You go first. What trait? Will you absolutely not have in a dog that's going to live with you? It is just nope. Sorry, deal breaker. Aggressive. Okay. How about you, Patty? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say whiner, barker, aggressive, which I feel like all tie in together. I whiner, whiners really they do me in. 
So the okay, so the whiner d- does you in. All right, interesting. For me, it's the barker. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Wine, whiner, barker, like the ones that just you know. Can I put that in one word? Wine yeah, bark. Yeah. <laughs> we we had a little fuzzball mutt dog way back when when Glenn and I first got together. It was a little crossbred of some sort that we got at the pound. It's cute as the Dickens, but that dog could bark. Oh my gosh, mm. could it bark? I mean, like it, constantly. Yeah, whenever he didn't like something, you know, when he was unhappy about where he was, he could just go on for hours. Oh. And there was nothing to bark oh, at. He would I, just sit there yeah. and, and you could tell he was just barking to hear himself because he wasn't looking at anything. You know, he was kind of in this zen yeah, bark thing fun. going. It was it was almost like chewing his fingernails. Whew, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that would drive me nuts. Yeah. That would drive me nuts. But the, the, the farm dog we had at yeah, the same I, time was just the opposite. You never heard a peep out of her. You know, I don't mind a bark that says, you know, somebody's coming. Yeah, that's um, that's different. Something's There's going strange, on. Yeah, the UPS man's here. Yeah, yeah exactly. that makes sense. Yeah. But then you have the dogs that, you know, they yeah, but- hear something, they bark. They see something, they bark. They don't hear something, they bark. <laughs> the, yeah. the go-to is bark. Yeah, can't right. do that. Barking. Can't do that. I And I can't do aggressive yeah. dogs. Yeah. Now, are well, you have, do you have an issue, Tigger, either. with... Dogs that have dog aggression, people aggression, food aggression, or just aggression in general? Food aggression I can deal with. Yeah. I, I really don't think that's mm. such a big deal. Uh, I mean, you got to be careful where your hand is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't like aggression, aggressive dogs that are aggressive to other dogs that is out of context with a, a disagreement because yeah. dogs – We'll have a disagreement with another dog. Sure. As long as they disagree and then they, then, okay. And I really have an issue with a dog that's aggressive with humans. Yeah. So yeah. I tend, you know, and I, I don't mean to cast aspersions on certain breeds, but there are breeds that I just, I couldn't live with, I don't think. I, well, I suspect mm-hmm. that it, it is not unfair to say that breeds have, you can generalize and stereotype breed personalities. There are some breeds that are more likely to have these traits than others, just like horses and cats and other animals. So I can I can totally get that. There's I know a lot of people who have I grew up with German shepherds. My mom was in the, the German Shepherd breed and competitive oh, wow. arenas. So I grew up with German Shepherds. And oh. I so I feel like I know the breed reasonably well. I know a lot of people that I'm sorry. It doesn't matter what German Shepherd it is, that person or that family probably shouldn't have that breed because if you're going to generalize generalize their personality, it's not going to get along with that family. And I, I think that's very true, and I don't think that's unfair at all. No, I don't either. Mm. You know, there's some there's some that are just also, not made for that. Well, and I think it's also hard when you have like a working breed like that. I mean, those dogs that generally have to ju- have to have a job. I mean, yeah. there's some breeds that certainly have to have a job that don't end up being yep. aggressive, but right. There are, think, do, there know, are dogs, environmental yeah. things. There, there are dogs that are Rosie the Riveter and then yeah. dog breeds mm-hmm. that are Rosie the Riveter. And there are dog breeds that are Rastafarians. <laughs> yes. Right. King, yeah, like, King Charles Spaniel, yeah. Rastafarian. A Frenchies. A Frenchie. Oh. Rastafarian. Oh, Frenchies. <laughs> well, but, well, I, you know, tell that to my neighbor that um, was coming down the driveway when Angus attacked her uh, her bumper because she was apparently on um, what he considered his driveway. So Frenchies, Frenchies are not, Frenchies are bulldogs. They are incredibly 
they their lap dogs are cute as they can be, but I'll tell you what, the first thing that would attack you if you came into my house would be both the Frenchies <laughs> and they wouldn't let go. And they're, they're, I mean, they're like, you know, they're like, they're like the one's like a flea and the other one's like a tick. I mean, one jumps around and the other one latches onto you and it's not going to let go. You know, I mean, they're just, um, they're, they're, they're fighters. They're little fighters. <laughs> so they're, so they're actually, uh, Walter Matthau then is what they are. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was thinking yeah, more of I mean, like, like mini me Rockies. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, and they're like, and they're like, you know, they're like puffing and spitting, you know, with their arms up and they're dodging. Yeah. I mean, no, they're, but I mean, if, if Ray and I, um, like if Ray, um, if like, I, I act like I'm going to run after Ray or if I act like, if I act like Ray's going to hit me, oh my gosh, both of those dogs are on him, like white on rice. I mean, they are just like all over it, just like all on top of him, biting him and, there's just, there's just, you know, it's just, there's there's just, just naughty. Um, and you have to calm them down because then their hackles get yeah. up, you know. There's no, uh, and then there's nothing worse than a, than a Frenchie with his hackles up. No, there isn't because then he starts shedding. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. I think that, uh, that pretty much there you tells go. us what we need in our dogs. For folks who mm-hmm. have some traits in their canine friends that, they either intelligence is one thing that I, I really like an intelligent, smart dog that I appreciate the ones that aren't, but for me to share my life with, I like a dog that is smart. Even if they're smarter than me. See, and I I used to think I liked a smart dog, but for me, smart is such a human term to put onto a dog because a dog that we consider dumb a lot of times it's not because he's dumb. He's just really good at being him. And we haven't figured out what he needs to understand what that us. Is, yeah. And you know what taught me that was having greyhounds. I think that's a good point. Because greyhounds are, mm. we, and I love my greyhound. We don't have any other kind anymore. Um, and we call them dumb because they're really, really not easy to train at all. Because genetically they're not designed to work closely with a human being. But mm. if you can tap into <clears throat> that dog at sort of a dog level, they're incredibly smart. They're incredibly good at doing what they do. They're not really mm-hmm. du- They're dumb from a point of view of this human being sitting here going, sit. Would you please just sit? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Why is that so hard but to grasp? that's not what they're meant to do. Right. So I mean, for Tigger, really you. Back to the breeding. Yeah. You, know? you, you love, yeah. A, you love those, the dogs and the dog breeds who thrive on figuring out their human and having that human relationship and, and wanting yep. to work together. Yep. Yeah. Which is why you, you could do so well with your herding breeds. Yes. Yeah. See, for, for me, the herding breeds yeah. want that, and I'm too lazy. I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't have the, I don't have the energy to go, like, play fetch today. I'm sorry. Here, come oh, on. See, let's so let's go for a five-minute like, walk I, and know. hit the couch. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so funny. There we go. But that's a really good point, Jennifer, is that, I mean, you when when somebody, and I hope the listeners really think about this, if somebody's going to get a dog and they're not going to go to um, the pound and adopt. And even if they do that, really read up, really read up on what you're looking into, because I mean, a lot of dogs are so true to their breeding, you know, um, and there's things about them. There's, you know, it's so easy to figure all this out. It's amazing. It's amazing. But like you said, you know, your greyhounds, they're not meant to sit and, 
I mean, they're supposed to run after things, you know, and, you know, it's like a, a sight hound versus a, a scent hound. I mean, they're all such different things yes. and hurting yeah, yeah, dogs exactly. and working read dogs. Up, it's, read I mean, up it's on their genetic history, what they were designed to do and mm-hmm. what that means, where a, a herding breed was generally designed to work closely with a human, but physically at a distance from that human. So he had to have yeah. traits that made that work versus a sight hound was, was really designed to not work with the human at all. Once he got on his quarry, the human right. did not matter. Yep. Versus a yeah. scent hound usually is working with the human at least a little bit. You right. Know, they're, they're both following after their quarry, well, but yes, that relationship's they, different. Well, think of like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like think of a bloodhound. Right. They're they're following the scent so they can let the human know. No, right. it's it's really quite fascinating when you break it down like that. I mean, but it also I think would really help a lot of people if they are trying to teach their greyhound to sit. You know what I mean? Or right. trying to do obedience with it. You just don't see a lot of them in obedience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. I'm not saying that it can't be done, but it's just you know you're 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 going to have more challenges. I mean, I oh think, yeah, they don't they don't you know, thrive on it. <laughs> pretty rare no it's no. pretty rare if you can no. teach your greyhound recall you're doing pretty good doing yeah, pretty yeah. Really, good. really good you're now i'm and i fact. and i'm speaking from racing greyhounds not akc greyhounds because right they are separate just make that clear that right you're not going to see a lot of crossover lineage wise there but you're right and um and it's hard like if you're going to go and get yourself a dog whether it's adopting an adult dog or adopting a puppy or purchasing if you're going to get a breed that's really really common a labrador retriever a golden retriever or a poodle um my personal take on this is if you're going to go to a breeder and get one try to find a breeder who is reasonably close to the dog's original intent for example if you're going to get a poodle and I'm so I have to speak to standard poodle because the miniaturized versions have always been pets. If you're going to go standard, originally mm-hmm. they were designed to be hunting dogs. So maybe right. find a breeder who right. at least understands that part of their lineage and has at least some of that in there. Because I think that dog is going to be closer, more likely to be close to those personality traits than a dog that has six generations of show dog and not a working dog amongst them. Because when you're a, when you're a show dog, a those personality traits don't play into whether or not you're an award winner. Exactly. Exactly. And they're just showing off the confirmational right. point of this. And the, right. it, it, I think that's such a good point, Jennifer, because I think people fall in love with the look of a breed and all of that. Mm-hmm. But when they and so many people and this is why so many dogs will end up in the pound is that. They fall in love with the look, or they fall in love with the head, or you know whatever. But then, <laughs> or but cute they don't understand. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the little smush. I mean, you know, and I think it all boils down to is there's so many people out there that you know they want to share their lives with something like this, but really figuring it out. Like you said, Jennifer, you know what you can deal with. You know, you you don't want to have to spend a lot of time having to walk and do whatever. I mean, that's, you know, not, and some you know, people, all they want to do realistic. is do that or take their dogs on hikes or whatever. Right. It's, 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 an, it's a really good point. Yeah. Very good point. So Tigger, how often, how often do you take your dogs quote for walks? In other words, you go with them versus let that, letting them out to run on their own. And uh, each time you do it about how long do you go out? So usually the weekends is when I take the dogs out in the woods and to the creek and the pond. So two days a week. 
And about how long do you go out each time you do it? An hour or so. An hour or so. And then in between times, they mm-hmm. get to go out in the backyard and be dogs together? Well, they're on a farm, so they yeah. have a lot of Big backyard. Space. They have and to they feed go the horses to... in the morning. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, they're chores to do. So being farm the dogs, they and... really get to interact with you out of doors daily. Yes. 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 Versus a and dog they go to the office with And me. go to the office with you. Versus a dog that might live in an urban situation. Where he gets to go out in the backyard every day and do his business and play as long as he likes, but he's not interacting with the family. Right. He's just out there in the backyard. And uh, I think mm-hmm. that makes a big difference in the dog. And that's another reason you look at those those personality traits. You need, if that's going to be your family's lifestyle, try to find a dog that's going to have the personality type that he's cool with that. Versus, well, exactly. this is the one we got because he's cute and adorable and he likes his belly rubbed. And he's just going to have to work it out. <laughs> right. You know, he'll get he's used to it. He's going to have to figure you know? some stuff out here. He'll, he'll just get used yeah. to it. That's maybe not the best way. So this has been a fascinating discussion. This has been yeah. a lot of fun. So yeah. Uh, yeah. let us know yeah. what traits you look for in a dog. You can go to healthycritters.com or on our Facebook page, Healthy Critters Radio. <laughs> Hedy? Yes, it's Tigger and Tati, and is it perhaps Jennifer today? Jennifer's here. It is Jennifer. Oh, thank the Lord. Not hey, Hedy. <laughs> Hedy, we have a question for you. And boy, have I got answers. <laughs> I'm sure you do. This is in part of the theme of our show, okay? Ready? What traits do you look for in a human servant? Okay, what's well, Tigger, first let me just back up for one moment, okay? Because I need to give you some context on my recent experiences. I am currently living in a hovel where we have mold problem and bugs were recently bombed for and the furnace died. So if you want to care for me, I am taking applications. You may contact me oh. on Facebook page. <laughs> I would like a full resume, including your current salary, the type of automobile you own, whether you have a private jet. <laughs> a private jet, of course. Experiences you might have with Bush. I look forward to welcoming page reviewing them until the position is filled. So what can you just name like three or four traits in your human servant you would like to have in, in when you hire a new one? Well I think the first thing to remember is that excellent domestic help anticipates the needs of me. So I should not have to tell you that I am hungry or want a snack or that it's cold or that I am bored. You should be able to anticipate this before I am aware of it and make it not so. (laughs) Okay. To ensure my constant 
happiness, and that cannot be assured if I am allowed to be for even one microsecond. So attention to detail is crucial. Uh-huh. Submission oh, okay. is another big one. If you seem to think that you're right, and your rightness is in opposition to my being right, we are not going to do well. You are tired a lot. So in fact, don't even apply. If you are not capable of purchasing cheese on a regular basis and dispensing it to small dogs, that will also be an issue. Regular book work is an important part of maintaining my national reputation, international really. So you must be comfortable with basic computer skills. I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, I, I can't wait to see the, the volume of responses that come from this. Well, Tigger, don't apply, okay? I think we all know you are not Tom servant material so you can just keep your resume with you <laughs> yeah don't worry i i would not be sending my resume to you hedwig i know i would be rejected right off the top of the list i will also be expecting a minimum of five letters of reference from pomeranian <laughs> oh, of course <laughs> oh that's funny are not as palm servant this is not the job for you you're, you're absolutely I correct. Like my goblin brother. He has no standards. He would go home with anyone. I'm not kidding. He spends hours telling the ridiculous servant how nice she is and how great his life is and how great she is. And I am just vomiting on my perfectly stylish little shoes. He is ridiculous and embarrassing and not really my brother because he's a goblin, not a dog. <laughs> okay. All right, Hetty. Oh, well, right. Um, we know that neither Patty or myself, I can't speak for Jennifer, are, are worthy of being a Pomeranian servant, but we, we certainly encourage you in your search. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I look forward to receiving applications from Servant admirers. Of course. <laughs> Thanks, Hetty. Thank Au you. Revoir. Thanks, Hetty. Bye, Hetty. So we are at the Tigapedia part of our show, and I have recently had some people ask me the difference between feeding a small breed food versus a large breed food for dogs. And Tigger, I'd like your feeling on this and what's your, what's your take? I think when it comes to puppies, it makes a lot of sense for a small breed dog, meaning under 20 pounds, to have a specific kind of food because, first of all, the size of the kibble. Second of all, the energy requirements of little dogs is a lot because they grow really fast as puppies, but then they stop at like at seven months, they're pretty much grown. While the large breed doesn't really 
stop growing the giants probably for 18 months and other large mm-hmm. breeds, you know, a, a year or more. So I think in terms of puppies and, of course, a large breed because it grows slower, you want you don't want to speed up the the growth because of the growth right. plates and things. So it makes sense as puppies to feed, you know, size and breed appropriate food. But when they're adults, that's what I think then becomes sort of a marketing thing. Now, small yeah. breed dogs, you know, like especially re- the really little ones, the toys, you know, they have really little mouths. So a big chunk of kibble, you know, is probably going to be a little tough for them to eat. So you do want to yeah. find kibble that's a, an appropriate size for the, a little dog's mouth. But I really think once they're adults, you, you really want to focus on the quality of the food. Of course, you do as a puppy as well. But after that, I think it's just marketing. Yeah, and it's interesting because what I had not realized until actually a few days ago, because I've always tried to feed the best kibble that I can feed, is that there's some companies that actually talk about it being um, small bites versus small breed. So it can be for a small breed, but like, for instance, my Australian shepherd is very textural, so he does not like a large kibble. Mm-hmm. I have to give him a smaller kibble because he'll spit it out. So it, it's kind of, it's kind of a, an interesting thing too, but I had wondered, I'd often wondered if that was a lot of that is they, you know, large breed, once they're a large breed adult versus a small breed adult if there's really that big of a difference. Other than the size of the kibble, there should, I mean, I, again, I think it's marketing when they have mature small dogs and say, well, this is especially for them. And, you know, it's the quality of the food and then the size of the kibble based on the size of the, the dog's mouth. Yeah. Um, quality that's food, really is, quality what you food is quality food. It is. Yeah. It is. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. So that's cool. the answer. All right. And it was a good one at that. <laughs> So now we're at the critter nutrition portion of our show, and I'm going to talk about intuition. In our high-tech world of bites and data, we can forget that there is another avenue of communication that isn't cellular or vocal or run by computer processors. It's intuition. In my opinion, it is one of the most important avenues of communication with animals. It is the little voice that says, something is not right with my horse. When everyone around you is saying, oh, your horse is fine. It is that whisper that says, I don't feel good about feeding this. Or he seems fine, but I feel he may have ulcers. We horse owners spend a lot of time in our heads. Riding is a thinking sport. Competitions are as much a mind game as a physical endeavor for both horse and rider. And yet when we get out of our heads and just feel, we are in that zone of connectedness with our horse, in the moment, present, intuitive. Some of the best trainers and competitors that I know have the ability to let the feeling direct the thinking brain rather than the other way around. They feel what the horse is telling them. The best veterinarians are, in my opinion, the most intuitive. Listening to their intuition gives them the freedom to step out of the box, particularly with complicated cases that don't fit a prescribed paradigm of treatment. 
The intuitive veterinarians also seem to be the first to start linking chronic health issues with certain medications or protocols and revise dosing, even if that is not what, what the drug companies advocate. Most of us are not encouraged to listen to our intuition. I think this is because our high-tech lifestyle disconnects us from our intuitive feelings. And we are bombarded by the black, white, right, wrong, good, bad duality of judgment that leaves no room for gray or blue or green or red or a rainbow. Now, before you think I've lapsed into the hippie phase of my youth or that I've been listening to too many Grateful Dead songs, let me just say that it is the animals that are constantly reminding me of nonverbal communication, of intuition. Intuition is an awareness that is absent of rational thinking. And while we think of science as being the bastion of rational thinking, some prominent scientists have maintained that intuition is associated with innovation and scientific discovery. I feel that the animals are communicating with us through our intuition. I find for myself that when my brain is fluttering around, chattering like a magpie, or I'm stressing, I have a harder time hearing my intuition and hearing the horses and dogs. Trusting our intuition is particularly important when it comes to horse care, feeding, choosing supplements, to knowing when the horse has had enough work for the session, or when to teach new things, or what is really going on with the stoic course that our intuition is telling us, something's not quite right. What I love about intuition is that everybody has it, yet we are conditioned to ignore it, mistrust it, and avoid it. Not so long ago, I was giving a seminar on whole food, and a doctor in the audience asked about how to know how to adjust the whole food diet for each horse. I advised him to use your intuition. He was in shock. You would have thought I told him to run around the room naked. But he really taught me in that moment, we have to let go of the instruction manual in order to hear the horses. Listening to our intuition does not discount or displace our rational thinking or observational acuities. It is simply another source of inflammation and communication. Listen to it. Trust it. Celebrate it. Don't be afraid to trust what your intuition is whispering in your ear. Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real food ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. So today in Coffee Clatch, we are going to read the tale of Jemima Puddle Duck by Beatrix Potter, which was published in 1908. 
Listen to the story of Jemima Puddle Duck, who was annoyed because the farmer's wife would not let her hatch her own eggs. Her sister-in-law, Mrs. Rebecca Puddle Duck, was perfectly willing to leave the hatching to someone else. I have not the patience to sit on a nest for 28 days, and no more have you, Jemima. Would you let them go cold? You know you would. I will have them all by myself. Quack, Jemima Puddle Duck. She tried to hide her eggs, but they were always found and carried off. Jemima Puddle Duck became quite desperate. She determined to make a nest right away from the farm. She set off on a fine spring afternoon along the cart road that leads over the hill. She was wearing a shawl and a poke bonnet. When she reached the top of the hill, she saw a wood in the distance. She thought it looked like a safe, quiet spot. Jemima Puddle Duck was not much in the habit of flying. She ran downhill a few yards, flapping her shawl, and then she jumped off into the air. She flew beautifully when she got a good start. She skimmed over the treetops until she saw an open place in the middle of the wood where the trees and the bushwood had cleared. Jemima alighted rather heavily and began to waddle about in search of a convenient dry nesting place. She reached a fancy tree stump amongst some tall foxgloves, but seated upon the stump, she was startled to find an elegantly dressed gentleman reading a newspaper. He had black prick ears and sandy-colored whiskers. Quack, said Quack. Jemima Puddle Duck with her head and her bonnet on one side. Quack. The gentleman raised his eyes above his newspaper and looked curiously at Jemima. Madam, have you lost your way? said he. He had a long bushy tail which he was sitting upon as the stump was somewhat damp. Jemima thought him mighty civil and handsome. She explained that she had not lost her way, but that she was trying to find a convenient dry nesting place. Ah, is that so? Indeed, said the gentleman with sandy whiskers, looking curiously at Jemima. He folded up the newspaper and put it in his coattail pocket. Jemima complained of the superfluous hen. Indeed, how interesting. I wish I could meet with that fowl. I would teach it to mind its own business. But as to a nest, there is no difficulty. I have a sack full of feathers in my woodshed. No, my dear madam, you will be in nobody's way. You may sit there as long as you like, said the bushy long-tailed gentleman. He led the way to a very retired, dismal-looking house amongst the foxgloves. It was built of faggots and turf, and there were two broken pails, one on top of another, by way of a chimney. This is my summer residence. You would not find my earth, my winter house, so convenient, said the hospitable gentleman. There was a tumble-down shed at the back of the house made of old soap boxes. The gentleman opened the door and showed Jemima in. The shed was almost quite full of feathers. It was almost suffocating, but it was comfortable and very soft. Jemima Puddle Duck was rather surprised to find such a vast quantity of feathers, but it was very comfortable, and she made a nest without any trouble at all. When she came out, the sandy-whiskered gentleman was sitting on a log reading the newspaper. At least he had it spread out, but he was looking over the top of it. He was so polite that he seemed almost sorry to let Jemima go home for the night. He promised to take great care of her nest until she came back again the next day. He said he loved eggs and ducklings. He should be proud to see a fine nestful in his woodshed. 
Jemima Puddle Duck came every afternoon. She laid nine eggs in the nest. They were greeny white and very large. The foxy gentleman admired them immensely. He used to turn them over and count them when Jemima was not there. (laughs) At last, Jemima told him that she intended to begin to sit next day. And I will bring a bag of corn with me so that I may need never leave my nest until the eggs are hatched. They might catch corn, said the conscientious Jemima. Madam, I beg you not to trouble yourself with a bag. I will provide oats. But before you commence your tedious sitting, I intend to give you a treat. Let us have a dinner party all to ourselves. May I ask you to bring up some herbs from the farm garden to make our savory omelet? Sage and thyme and mint and two onions and some parsley. I will provide lard for the stu- lard for the omelet, said the hospital gentleman with sandy whiskers. Jemima Puddle Duck was a simpleton. Not even the mention of sage and onions made her suspicious. She went around the farm garden, nibbling off snippets of all different sorts of herbs that are used for stuffing roast duck. And she waddled into the kitchen and got two onions out of a basket. The collie dog, Kep, met her coming out. What are you doing with those onions? Where do you go every afternoon by yourself, Jemima Puddle Duck? Jemima was rather in awe of the collie. She told him the whole story. The collie listened with his wise head on one side. He grinned when she described the polite gentleman with sandy whiskers. He asked several questions about the wood and about the exact position of the house and shed. Then he went out and trotted down to the village. He went to look for two foxhound puppies who were out at walk with the butcher. Jemima Puddle Duck went up the cart road for the last time on a sunny afternoon. She was rather burdened with bunches of herbs and two onions in a bag. She flew over the wood and alighted opposite the house of the bushy, long-tailed gentleman. He was sitting on a log. He sniffed the air and kept glancing uneasily round the wood. When Jemima alighted, he quite jumped. Come into the house as soon as you have looked at your eggs. Give me the herbs for the omelet. Be sharp. He was rather abrupt. Jemima Puddle Duck had never heard him speak like that. She felt surprised and uncomfortable. When she was inside, she heard pattering feet around the back of the shed. Someone with a black nose sniffed at the bottom of the door and then locked it. Jemima became much alarmed. A moment afterwards, there were awful noises, barking, bang, growls and howls, squealing and groans. And nothing more was ever seen of that foxy, whiskered gentleman. Presently, Kep opened the door of the shed and let out Jemima Puddle Duck. Unfortunately, the puppies rushed in and gobbled up all the eggs before he could stop them. He had a bite on his ear, and both the puppies were limping. Jemima Puddle Duck was escorted home in tears on account of those eggs. She laid some more in June, and she was permitted to keep them herself, but only four of them hatched. Jemima Puddle Duck said it was because of her nerves, but... She had always been a bad sitter. The end. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. 
For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. (laughs) 